0: Welcome back, everybody. Here's a quick preview of this week's Dose. First, we talk through Taylor, hot off their $2.3 million seed round led by Bling Capital, which aims to address sustainability through a clothing subscription for men. Then we'll get into Command Bar, which recently raised a $19 million Series A co-led by Insight Partners and Itai Sedan, to address user interface challenges through a B2B search tool software. Next, point raised in $115
1: million Series C led by Westcap to enable homeowners to tap into the value of their home through equity investment, much like a venture capitalist backing a startup. Lastly, Long Game was acquired by Truist Bank to incentivize and gamify savings for the younger generations. And before we dive into this week's dose. Sam and I wanted to give a quick shout out to our day one pilgrims and the best moms out there for this Mother's Day. Love you, Mom. Love you, Mom. All right, let's dive
0: in. Happy Mother's Day. You see, here, kid, you gotta just go for it. Don't think about what comes after or what came before. You just gotta bend your knees, take a deep breath, and jump.
1: This is Venture Pill with your hosts, Sam and Brandon. We're here to prescribe you your weekly dose of venture capital and startup news to keep you informed in the evolving world of venture.
0: All right, we are <laughs> absolutely back with the 13th dose. This one's going to be remote as Brandon is in a Location not to be named. So we are here on the old video call, but glad to be back with you guys and certainly excited about our tremendous lineup of companies today.
1: Yes. Sad to not be alongside you, Sam, but no amount of distance can keep the venture pill apart. It's impossible. No,
0: no that's that's what the pilgrimage is all about. So yes. We know our pilgrims would do the same. Exactly. Let's, <laughs> let's dive right in. Our first company of the day is Taylor. That's spelled T-A-E-L-O-R. They raised a $2.3 million seed round, which was led by Bling Capital. And it was in the form of safe notes, as well as equity, uh, in a deal that included Chicago early growth ventures, as well as a slew of individuals. The funds will be used to open its service to customers on the wait list, as well as expand its offerings and operations and refine its algorithms. So what this service is, is a clothing rental subscription service designed for men honestly in our demographic age 25 to 40 just about is what they said and it's a service that pairs you with stylists and uses an artificial intelligence on the app to tailor your style and it sends you clothes that you rent from the platform you get to try them out in short stints and really see if it fits your style if you like then you get to keep the you get to keep the clothes and buy it at a discount so a pretty cool idea. I haven't heard of anything like this before, but you see, you like the way you look, I guarantee it. <laughs> uh, and the founder got the idea really from a motivation standpoint of sustainability. I think you wanted to dive into that a little bit more. It's pretty interesting stuff.
1: Sure thing. So first, I think a, a crazy stat Sam and I discovered is that carbon emissions from the fashion industry are more than carbon emissions from international flights and maritime shipping combined, according to the UN environment program, which is baffling, really. I don't understand how, but furthermore, 85% of all textiles end up in landfills or burned. And to quote Anya Chang, the founder, people only wear 20% of what they buy. So even though you might love some outfits, Most of the stuff in your closet that you never really wear ends up in landfills or, if you're a hoarder, in boxes in your attic. According to the World Resources Institute, in 2014, people bought 60% more clothing than they did in the year 2000, but they only kept the clothes for half as long. And in response to this, clothing manufacturers who could read the tea leaves of, of what was trending in the clothing industry, doubled their output since 2000, and generally designed clothes that are not built to last.
0: Right, and when you think of this fast fashion trend, you think of companies like Zara, there are many others I'm not as familiar with, but we certainly learned about this in business school as a case study, learning about Zara's business model and how they're totally designed To cycle through trends and sure that gives them good data on what's trendy and helps them in business, but that's horrible for the environment. It's Mm -hmm. clothes that are meant to be worn for just a month. They get worn out, they get thrown out. And that does explain kind of the stats that we were talking about with how it contributes to the climate more than the maritime and international flights industries do combined. It kind of gets explained by this trend that People are buying more clothes, wearing it for less time, and wasting wasting materials. And so with Taylor, Anya Chang, the founder, said their platform allows people to rent clothing, and then in just two weeks, they have real data if the people like their clothes. So the customer can judge whether it is fair to wear, if the quality is good, and all that data feeds back into the company, which is a really valuable piece for Taylor to continue tailoring their clothing recommendations for their customers, ultimately kind of a reinforcing feedback loop that makes the user experience better and ultimately saves the environment more.
1: Right. And speaking of loops, actually, I think the term for this is circular fashion. So we were just discussing fast fashion. This model of subscription, you know, you try clothes for two weeks, Um, if you don't want to keep them, you send them back, you get new clothes, or you can buy them at a discount. That's circular fashion, which circular just sounds more sustainable than fast. to my to my ears, at least. And so yeah, as you mentioned, Anya graduated from Booth. And she also has a breadth of expertise and experience leading digital innovation, marketing teams, as well as artificial intelligence at some companies like Facebook, eBay and Target. And when you think of Taylor, it's really the culmination of digital marketing and artificial intelligence.
0: Yeah. Not to mention her retail experience, hopefully having a good understanding for the clothing market as well. And we should definitely mention a shout out to the new venture challenge from the University of Chicago Booth School of Business. Because if you guys remember from episode 10, our interview with Maya Shaposhnik-Katena of Vetted Pet Health, she actually launched that company out of the same competition as Anya with Taylor. So a little bit of healthy competition there. Uh, it was cool to see that we've now highlighted two of those and both are doing real well. So we'll be keeping track of both. And Anya, if you're out there, we'd love to have you on the show. So we keep chugging along here and we've got another <laughs> company called Command Bar which recently announced their $19 million Series A, co-led by Insight Partners and Itai Sidon, along with follow-on investments from previous investors Thrive Capital and Box Group. They also, I should mention, had previous investments in their seed round back in August by a couple of prominent names, Y Combinator, as well as a large group of angels that included AngelList's Naval Ravikhan. Uh So Angelist finds its way back into our episode once <laughs> again, but pretty cool that they have gotten Naval as an investor. And now Angelist, spoiler alert, as a customer as well. But what this company does is essentially sells a business-to-business tool or B2B tool that helps make software easy to use for users. So it's all about this user experience, user interface challenges that apps and tools are facing today. Right. So you just mentioned
1: user interface challenges being the key problem that command bar is trying to address here. You and I actually found on the founder's blog post that there are basically three pillars that he was able to boil down as the key problems that command bar tries to address. So the first one being fragmented attention budgets, there used to be a lot less apps that people would use regularly. And now there are so many and increasingly more by the day. So it's impossible to know intuitively how to use them because they all might have slightly different user interfaces and user experiences. The next pillar is the two day shipping effect, which was a term I hadn't heard before, but essentially before we had two day shipping, so popularized like it is now by Amazon, we didn't even know we needed it. So as crazy as it is to think about now, We were totally fine waiting a week or two to get a new toothbrush or, you know, whatever housing, whatever (laughs) goods you might, whatever, (laughs) whatever you might be ordering from Amazon on a weekly basis nowadays. And they view Command Bar as a tool that will similarly become so widely adopted where it's kind of like a, how did we go about not having this before? You know, it becomes so regularized and it seems so intuitive, but... Before you see it right in front of your eyes, you can't really think about it. And the third and final pillar of these user interface challenges is quicksand software. So back in the early days of software, updates used to be far and few in between, maybe a couple times a year. Uh, But nowadays, just given the rapid pace of software and bugs that arise and need to be fixed and updates, those updates are much more fluid. So software gets updated regularly, routinely. And as such, it's difficult for some to keep up with all of the updates. So if you are using a software and then you take a week off, but then you go back a week later, due to some updates, you might not be able to locate and navigate the same software that you were using so proficiently just a couple weeks earlier.
0: Yeah, so those three pillars really summarize the user interface challenges that people are facing today, commonly with web based apps, I should say at least. This is what Command Bar offers their product for as of today. So essentially, it's a search interface that sits as an add on for web based apps. It can be used for simple search in addition to streamlining new user onboarding, is kind of this initial use case that a lot of companies are enjoying that for. To really streamline when a new user goes on to a new app they're really easily guided through it they can ask a question even in their own search terms using their own words and they'll be given a smart suggestion rather than your typical hey check out this help article that actually never never really (laughs) seems to help so i hate those who who likes those those never work and they're so hard to navigate but all this product is trying to do is really just Streamline everything nicely so that a user can navigate a new platform easily. Or if they're a veteran of the platform, they can really become more efficient and spend less time searching around or doing mundane kind of tasks to get to what they want to be doing. And so, since Command Bar's launch, which was only back in August, they've already shipped the product to over 3 million end users across world class companies like ClickUp. Gusto and Angelist, as I mentioned earlier. And they're really growing fast. I mean, already raising their, their series A here, they have a lot of room to grow. Right. And with this funding, some of the
1: areas of growth that they're honing in on are first, they're going to look into integrating their software into mobile apps. As Sam mentioned, this is currently for web-based apps. So definitely an area for expansion there. Furthermore, They're going to refine the software and the data behind it to make better recommendations for users. And lastly, they're going to improve their natural language search. So lots of exciting areas for growth here. Pretty unbelievable to remark that they only have 14 employees at this moment.
0: It's not surprising to see that they're operating so lean as we discussed in an early episode about AngelList. It's this ideology that Naval, an angelist employee, which is high output for each employee on the team. And I mean, this is, of course, they've only been in operation since August. So I wouldn't expect them to really have too many more employees than that. But for having 3 million users and big customers like that with only 14 employees, obviously they're emphasizing efficiency and, and output per person. They'll continue to grow using that methodology especially with Naval on their cap table.
1: Right, the value per employee there is pretty off the charts, Uh, really remarkable and a tight ship they keep over at Command Bar. Speaking of value, the third story Sam and I wanted to highlight today is Point, which just raised an $115 million Series C led by WestCap, also including participation from A16Z, and a whole list of notable VCs. Point was founded by a trio, including Alex Rampell, a GP at Andreessen Horowitz, as well as co-founder of the buy now, pay later giant Affirm, also founded by Eddie Lim and Ian Matthews. And so Point essentially gives homeowners a way to cash out on equity in their homes. Here's a crazy stat real quick. Homeowners are currently sitting on $26 trillion in home equity. So Point looks to be a marketplace that pairs homeowners with institutional investors so that homeowners can tap into that home equity and institutional investors can have a piece of that equity. So the flagship product of Point is home equity investment. And as I mentioned, it allows homeowners to get cash in exchange for a percentage of the future appreciation of their home. And Houses listed on Point range from $250,000 all the way to multi-million dollar mansions.
0: Yeah. And to dive into a little bit more how it works, First Point evaluates the applicants and their finances and makes a provisional offer. Then they value the home. And once closing conditions are met, Point funds the investment within four business days, which is as swift as could be really. I mean, that's, that's pretty incredible. On average, the home equity investment is usually around 15 to 20% of the home's property value. So think of it kind of like a minority investment, as we often talk about here on VenturePill and companies just in the form of a home. And the reason a homeowner might do this is wide ranging. It could be anything from they want to renovate their home, improve the home's value, something more in line with the actual home, or even to start a small business fund a large life event, like uh, college or retirement, things like that. The homeowner is not obligated to pay Point back for 30 years. However, most of the homeowners usually refinance their home or something like that, which allows them to pay back earlier.
1: Yeah. And one thing specifically about Point that really raised Sam and I's eyebrows up to the roof are that the CEO, Eddie Lim, likened the process of Point to a venture capitalist backing a startup. So like you just hinted at there, Sam, it's basically like a VC investing into a startup. And obviously the VC now has interest in that startup appreciating in value and being a success. Similarly, homeowners now have investors who can share in the future appreciation and upside of that house.
0: Yeah, it's a very interesting angle to home ownership, right? We're traditionally, we're used to debt as the main instrument for financing a home. Not normally do we see equity, especially minority equity in a home. I think it's a really cool way to get institutions involved. I mean, whether we want more institutions to be involved in the single family home market, that's another discussion. But more importantly, I think it's a great way to give homeowners flexibility for those life events and get an investment rather than taking out more debt.
1: Right, totally agreed there. And now just to hit y'all with a couple quick stats. So Point was founded in 2015. Since inception, it has invested in over 5,000 homes. And a more timely stat is that Point's funding volume was up five X in the first quarter of 2022 compared to the first quarter of 2021. So obviously even back in 2021, The housing market was so on fire and everyone was trying to get a piece of real estate or sell a piece of real estate. So Point really benefited from this recent push to real estate that has come to be, I think, really since COVID started and people started wanting to leave big cities and move to suburbs and have some space. And it's a trend that has certainly continued.
0: Yeah. So they're hopping on this trend, but in a unique way. I think the main advantages to point out here is that with Point, as opposed to a traditional home equity loan, there are no monthly payments, there's no income requirements, and no need for perfect credit. So it's a very different approach to it. The cost structure here is a classic market maker structure, right? We, we love a market maker, a good two-sided marketplace, never hurt nobody. <laughs> um, <laughs> love it. Point doesn't own any of the assets, rather it connects the homeowners to the investors and as such, they charge fees on both sides of that transaction. Uh, So that's their business model. They're growing pretty fast. They're in 16 states right now with plans to expand into 11 more by the end of this year. So massive growth there. We'll see how they do expanding into more states and with really some good investors there on the cap table, uh, we'll be keeping tabs on them as we do. But we wanted to jump into our last company of the day. Tell them about long game. Let's get into it.
1: Yep. Beautiful segue, Sam. The final story we wanted to cover in this week's dose is actually an acquisition. So Truist Bank acquired fintech startup Long Game. Long Game was founded in 2015. It's a 12-person startup, so another lean startup, like we were just talking about with Command Bar. It's a 12-person startup that raised $20 million in funding from investors such as Vestigo Ventures, Thrive Capital and others. And Long Game essentially has built a gamified finance mobile app that helps and encourages people to save, learn and engage with their finance. So I looked a little bit deeper into the Long Game website and essentially they studied behavioral economics and specifically around saving. And decided to hone their product in on prize link savings and casual gaming as motivators uh, to incentivize smart financial behaviors. And naturally, given how it's gamified, this is targeted more towards millennials and Gen Zers, but not to discount the importance of having millennials and Gen Zers saving money. That is imperative to the future of our next generations here.
0: Most definitely. I think a key stat to mention here is that. Over fifty percent of Americans have less than five hundred dollars in savings, which is wild. you know ideally, we'd like to get that get that number lower and the savings number higher and I think that's what Long game sets out to do. They've actually been acquired by the sixth largest bank in America. I think that was news to us, truest they've got almost five hundred billion dollars in assets, so really looking to acquire a startup like Long game to diversify their investment. Through their innovation arm to reach that younger demographic.
1: Right, and we should mention that the CEO of Long Game is Lindsay Holden, so another female CEO, which we always love to highlight on Venture Pill. And just to build a little bit more on how the platform works, Prize Linked Savings essentially leverages the dynamic of playing the lottery, but instead of buying a ticket, throwing away your money, players actually put that money into a savings account. So you're able to garner that feeling of, you know, lottery, I'm going to win big. And obviously that's a thrill that everyone chases every now and then, but they're able to garner that thrill and actually put it to building savings and accruing wealth. And the platform essentially rewards you for saving with your bank. And you have the chance to play games, to win cash, win the big mega millions jackpot. But something that's really cool is that users are actually guaranteed to never lose money. The savings are FDIC insured, which as they should be with a bank, but when you think about the lottery and some of these gambling avenues, you don't think that you your money is FDIC insured.
0: No, in fact, it's quite the opposite. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, it's definitely not FDIC insured. I think the idea here is really cool, right? Is to make saving not feel like saving. So you get to play games, you know, you don't really think about your money going into a savings account as it traditionally would go with a regular account. I think it's a really cool way to get the less financially literate people a bit of a chance to play something fun, but learn really how to save and to build wealth over time. Well, right. I mean,
1: imagine being able to build up your savings while playing Candy Crush, you know, like you wouldn't even really realize that you're saving money until you stop playing and you see you've made another couple cents or whatever the interest rate is. And people <laughs> people are going to be playing games on their phone regardless. So to be able to pair that with building up savings and promoting good financial hygiene is... Financial is, hygiene? I mean, right?
0: <laughs> I think we just
1: invented that. I think so. As you know, as I said it, I knew it was gonna be good. <laughs> but yeah, basically promoting and maintaining financial hygiene while gaming. You
0: know what, this also reminds me of Acorns, which is not, not necessarily mm. gamified, but in the same sense, it allows people to invest money without feeling like they're investing, right? It kind of takes a care of it for you. So automating this, making it less top of mind, But knowing that by participating, you're contributing to your wealth, I think is a great way to entice people to do the right things for their financial hygiene. We'll have to let the long game team know about the newly coined term and maybe buy the trademark for them. But yeah, that's a really cool company and some good impact investments today, I should say. We always like to sprinkle those in, but a good investment for Truist. I'm sure they'll see a sizable return on investment by getting into these younger demographics. Mm, Indubitably. Indubitably. (laughs) Well, I think that wraps up today's episode. I just wanted to say, kind of off the cuff here that we've loved growing this podcast, really, our goal with it is to get more folks into the world of venture, right. And so talking about we try to choose companies that you probably haven't heard of before, but companies that are doing cool stuff that you could see yourself getting behind a mission of joining the company, maybe wanting to invest in or learn more about. There's so many cool companies like this. I mean, we're finding these and choosing from dozens that have raised. It's a really cool time to be in venture. And hopefully, if if you get any sort of value out of this, let us know because we're doing this to get more people into this world.
1: Well said, Sam. I know it's honestly difficult sometimes for us to narrow down which stories to cover just because we're fascinated by so many of these headlines we're reading out of the venture capital and startup space. So as you mentioned, just such a great time to get involved from the sidelines or in the game of venture capital. And I think with that, we're going to wrap up our 13th episode. Venture Pill is officially a teenager. Got some exciting interviews coming up soon.
0: So stay tuned and, <laughs> and have a good one. Y'all take care now. Thanks for listening. Join us next week for your next dose of startups and venture capital on Venture Pill. She told me that she only bumps my music when she's lonely. Thinks my vibes a little low key. Okie dokie, that's all
1: right, but I don't know.